chose to do this today because I've, I've been doing this, some of this on my own just because stuff's been good. Always, always, always do for something in the body. But this morning I woke up and um, yesterday I, I went shopping. I'm not a shopper. I don't shop particularly for clothing. And I went to this one shop just to look for one particular thing. And of course the lady ushered me into the dressing room and she's handing me all this stuff. Next thing I know I have 30 pieces of clothing in there. And because she spent so much time with me, it was so nice, I overspent, and now I'm, you know, so now I'm doing the buyer's remorse thing. I woke up this morning, and I, I've never done this, I can't remember in the last 20 years I've done this. My heart pounding, anxiety ridden over how much money I spent yesterday, and, but, you know, feeling badly if I go take some of it back, some or all of it back, and what will she think, and she spent so much time. So I'd like had this stuff going, but my heart was just pounding, like you, you mentioned, like somebody had a gun on me. I felt like my life was being threatened. And it was just interesting to kind of, so and the thoughts are going, so I thought, okay, go go back to the, to the physical. So I just settled, and laying a bit, I just settled into that racing heartbeat. And there's, uh, I'm going to do some more work on it because I don't know where exactly that came from, but I mean, just of mom and dad and of course teachers and all that. It's a real fear for me. I didn't realize how strong it was. I'm really worried about taking this close back and having, having that same woman go, you know, because I know she works on commission, you know. <laughs> Having to disappoint her by taking some of that. But you see, I think also what we need to understand is this is that either there was a complex play that was operating. She wasn't actually tuning into what you needed. Oh, yeah. She was playing into a whole kind of performance thing that had you into something that actually was not what you needed and not what you wanted and not what you came there for. And so you bought into it, which is true. You did buy into it. Absolutely. Yeah. But with real cash. To it with your body. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that it was actually coming from your own genuine sense of this is what you need and this is what you want. Mm -hmm. You you were buying into it from habit patterns of of something else. Mm -hmm. And so in some ways it's like to do your body justice. It's like, you know, um, poetic justice in, in, in language. Mm -hmm. This is like poetic justice with your body. Coming back to the place of, well, you went in there for one thing to look at. Can you go back to what your original intention was? Not the attention that she gave you, mm -hmm. but to your original intention of what you went there for. Yeah. She obviously didn't have what I got before. Right. But she, that's so the, now it was like, well, and that's and, and part of the, the big picture for me, that's part of the reason I don't like to shop is because I, I'm very easily sold and I know that so I usually just avoid it altogether. And I then I get caught up at it and then it's and then I and there's the other piece of, Well, you purchased it, it's your mistake, deal with it, live with it, don't you know and so there's that all there's all those pieces coming together in one. I can't afford that. I don't have $300 and I'm going to need that for something else. And <laughs> so, 
fighting of <laughs> but I, I've never felt that pounding like that or something. So. Yeah, but I think that's See, also that's also what happens. Is that as we start practicing a little bit more, you know, what we didn't notice before becomes much more apparent. And so, you know, this might not have been activating in the past, but because there's more mindfulness and attention, then it's much stronger now. You know, as we know, you know, the practice is not about staying in comfort zones, and so, and so, in this case, you know, not to look about where do you find the comfort, but where does it help you stay connected with your own body sense? What in this case would be the action that would allow you to feel most congruent with your place of deepest rest in your own body? Yeah. <laughs> and then, so the discomfort then is to watch the spin that happens around everything else that gets triggered when you do that. Because that works for you, but it doesn't work for your sense of this other person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how do you navigate the feelings that you feel thinking about what they might feel, what she might feel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is how you know, meditation is not about being comfortable but about actually moving into the edges of where we're uncomfortable. Yeah. Part, part of the issue with me is I'm, I'm extremely sensitive to people, so if I, when I disappoint somebody, I feel it immediately. And um, I, part of my avoidance is because I don't want to feel that from anybody, even somebody I don't know. Obviously, I don't know this woman. Anybody, but I can still feel that, so I, just, I always want to, Interesting correlation, interesting connection. Now, I know for myself, I'm also similar. I'm just incredibly sensitive, and when somebody has a feeling, you know, it's like a big, huge, you know, it's like, it's a big, huge thing. I know that. But what I know helps me navigate this stuff better is when I'm clear about my boundaries on the onset, you know. So when I'm not clear about my boundaries on the onset, about what I can give and what I have to offer, and this stuff comes up, then it can knock me. But if I'm clear about what I can offer and what my boundaries are from the onset, then when that stuff happens, I know that it's not because of me being unclear. It's their stuff. And when I know it's their stuff, I don't get knocked as much. Yeah? So, you know, fundamental thing is, is that even though we can feel feelings, we're not responsible for where something lands in somebody else. But we are responsible for our own actions, our own intentions. So if I've done what I can to make boundaries clear and my intention is clear, and somebody is spinning, I can see that, and it doesn't affect me in this nearly as much as it does when I haven't made the efforts to have my boundaries clear and set my attention. And, you know, with most of these things, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, we, we can see in retrospection, you know, what is needed, whether in the situation, you don't need, you don't know that you need to come in, you know, with 
you don't need to cut you don't know that you need to come in with like I came here for one thing and if you don't have that one thing I am not willing to look at your 300 other things <laughs> so as long as you know that yeah. I am here with that reason yeah. then you can feel whatever you want to feel right. it's not my problem <laughs> <laughs> and still do that with an open heart right huh? I have a friend who's, this is one of her favorite places to shop, and we were talking about that today, and she said, oh, yeah, and, and she she gets, you know, she, like, I'm just going to go in there, and this is what I'm going to look at, and, and but she does it in a way that's, that's um, she will actually get mad if they try to show her something that she doesn't want to, you know, she gets really upset about it, and I don't want to go that that angle either, so it's, it's kind of finding that, that middle way of, Setting boundaries, but still being right. having my heart open to that person. And, and she's know, trying to make a living. And with and with all of us, you know, we have our places of when we engage with that. Whether you go into the shopping with particular shopping practice, you know, to explore the edges of that, or you or your practices is I'm not going shopping. Right. You know.
agree. And we live in a world that doesn't give any of those messages. You know, you know, there's nothing on the billboards that talks about body awareness. You know, there's nothing that talks about the value of staying even connected to your body. Everything is externalized and everything is consumerized so that you know our happiness is in objects outside of our experience. So that our society is really you know has values and image messages and images and that are not about doing this. And so, you know, it takes it takes effort and it takes people who support each other. It takes, you know, groups of people who value. It takes um, dropping into circumstances where this is shared knowledge to remember this is the way. And it doesn't help any of the society medical world is to treat symptoms versus the roots of issues. Right. And I saw that very evident in hospital births. Mm. Where they had one physician say to me one time, most people I have to do go out the natural He said, when I see you, I don't know what to do. Because I was taught to look for a problem, find a problem, So I can take any of your clients and I can put them into labor. I can speed it up, I can slow it down, I can stop it, or I can take them in and do a C-section. But I don't know what to do when it's natural. And I thought, wow, I'm not real crazy about you, but I'd rather be home having dinner than waiting, because this is going to be a slow process. And, and that in and of itself makes those places in the body just close down right. and shut off. Right, and you know, and it speaks very eloquently about, you know, what is valued. Mm-hmm. You know, so birth, which is like, you know, the oldest thing that's been going on, is, is not, you can't, natural, there's no framework for what that looks like naturally. You know, it's like, what on earth has happened to take something which is like such a natural process and and turn it into a an illness that needs to be fixed. You know? And, and so, you know, hats off to him for the courage to name it and to speak it. But also there are ways in which what he is expressing are things that we have also done to ourselves. Right. You know, and so Rather than let him be the scapegoat, let him be the um, the flag holder of saying, "Check it out." You know how many ways have we done that in ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know where the stuff which is normal and natural is intolerable. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm dealing with menopausal hormone changes, and for a time I was really incredibly uncomfortable with it. Then I went to go see a, a doctor. Not you know. I didn't like doctors, so I don't go see them very regularly, but I went to go see, it was a family doctor. I had never seen him before. He said, you know, menopause is what all women have to go through. You know, there's there's like a a $20 billion business in menopause stuff, but it's like, you know, if you give it a few years, it'll sort itself out. And to me, it was like, well, actually, that felt like saying it comes. 
And since then, I've learned how to do energetic things that I can actually help, you know, release some of the tension and moderate it so it's not so crazy. And that's been working great, you know. So. Yeah, but, you know, the society is, is it's tragic. I mean, it's true that so much of what has been natural is no longer natural. I think a big piece of that in our society is that and some lessons that I've been sitting out, you know, with at the moment, um, we've been talking about the three types of feeling, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. And I think in our society, nobody likes the unpleasant stuff. And so if there's a pill I can take to get rid of it, then that's what I want. Um, my, my younger sister is in the midst of quitting smoking, which I'm thrilled to hear. But she took the Chantix stuff, but I don't know or a pill or something, but, and I guess it made her incredibly nauseous, and she posted this on Facebook, and she had like eight or ten people saying, ginger, 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 and she's like, oh, I hate the taste of ginger, I can't stand it, so finally, the nausea got bad enough that she detected. something cultural that is present in in this the way people um, have a sense of what they are supposed to have to feel mm-hmm. that is totally different here than it is in other places and so there's a whole other question about how our culture shapes our way of perceiving things you know so you know I was in England England has really bad weather Yes. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely something that we can shift and change. Now, one of the values of, of the lifestyle that I live is, is that, you know, part of the training is to completely um, tweak on what you think is not possible, you know, in terms of putting yourself in situations that you think are just not possible and seeing it's totally possible, you know. So, you know, we had all-night meditation rituals regularly, so for the first many years, like maybe first 10 years, every week we had an all-night meditation ritual. And so, you know, you're up from, you're up all night, you know, you don't feel very good, you know. And, and before that I would thought it's just not possible. It's totally possible. It's totally possible to be able to do that. And so, you know, there are many situations where I've been in where if I hadn't had the training that I have had, I would say this is impossible, forget it. But I know that impossible is an idea that one creates around a reality rather than an objective reality. And that if one just begins, you know, not in a kind of foolhardy way that one is um, reckless or just take one step in front of the other and see what opens as a result. I have never ceased to be amazed about the things that open up. And one of the things that happened for me was in that retreat, you know, when I was in Australia. You know, I had chronic fatigue for many, many, many years. And one of the big stressors for me with chronic fatigue was having my sleep patterns uh, disrupted. And so, you know, if I had too much disruption of sleep, I knew that. And I was there, and there was this Korean man who was there. Um, I can't remember her name. And she wanted to do this tiger practice, which is an insane practice. You don't lie down and you don't sleep for a week. So you have the intention of not sleeping for a week. Okay? Or whatever it was, 10 days or whatever. And you don't lie down. So you're just sitting up. And there was something about this, I don't know why it felt so compelling, but it totally felt compelling. I really wanted to try it, but I knew. I wasn't going to be able to push my way through this. I couldn't actually decide I was going to do it and do it, you know, come hell off my water. I needed to have some kind of caveats and backup places and all the rest of that. So I negotiated with her that, you know, if I was whatever, if I was, you know, dying or if it was feeling like it was harmful, I was going to back out. And she said that would be okay. But I knew I couldn't push. I knew if I did that, that would be absolutely deadly. So I had to find a way to breathe through the discomfort rather than push through the discomfort. And I did. And to my absolute amazement, because I would have never, ever, ever, ever had imagined this, contrary to having a relapse, for the first time in like 10 years, I was completely symptom-free. And what I had figured that was about was is that there was something about the fear about getting sick that was actually holding the whole thing in place. And when I did this, which was the scariest thing that I could possibly do, then somehow I was completely looking closely at that fear until the fear evaporated. And when the fear evaporated, there was something that released. So I did this insane practice. I did it without being reckless. And I had a result that I never would have imagined. But if you had asked me, I would have said it's impossible. You know. 
Yes, did they invent the culture of not wanting to be uncomfortable? So you have to take something so I'm not uncomfortable. situation, I mean, what is more natural than grief when you lose right. somebody, you know, and what's happened in the society that people are so disconnected from that as a normal process that the only, the only way that they know how to deal with it is through medication. I'm not saying that medication isn't sometimes helpful, but if that's the only way that they know how to deal with it, then something's way. She was telling me that in the last five years or so, by far the most push, the most drugs that she feels, prescription she feels, is sleeping aids, Ambien, strong, strong stuff. And she she talks to people about, well, is there, do you do anything else to help yourself? So do you try to routine? Have you tried chamomile or anything? Have you tried um, doing some relaxation? They will these, they're highly addictive. You need to really be careful with them. Take them once in a while if you need them. And she said, sure, shoot every 30 days, every fill the prescription, every 30 days. I mean, and how, all that does is perpetuate itself because then you become, it gets to where you can't sleep. Yeah, well, I think what we're going to need to do is to create little pockets of alternative realities because it's like, you know, the medical world is like, it's just insane. You know, the cultural value system is not healthy, you know, and so I think what we need to do is to create little pockets of people who have a different way of relating to some of these things, you know. I had to have a medical, I had to have a colonoscopy, and I needed to have a, the prep, I needed to get a prescription done. I've I haven't gotten a prescription in, in years. I don't. They said, "Where do you where do you get your prescriptions from?" I looked at her like, "I I don't." <laughs> you know, I don't. It's like that's not my world. You know, and you know, energy medicine and herbal medicine and eating foods to help you get better and you know, homeopathic medicine. All these things which are. Things which are, we know, we're just not constantly. Yeah. Just occasionally realizing that you're not going to feel great. You can't 
you're great every day. You can't have a good night's sleep every night. It's okay. <laughs> to go into work and say, I didn't sleep well last night, so I'm a little groggy brain. Please bear with me. We, we just, we don't even want to say that. We have to be on top of our game. We're going to lose our job if we don't work that day. So the anxiety that we're living with and the values that we're living with around it's just um, very, it's interesting to notice how prevalent they are. And, and so it's really important to pick up um, wholesome values and um, have connection with people who share that and to move against some of the, the, the norm of, of superficiality and, you know, polite lies and um, not taking responsibility for what's going on and, and looking for simple fixes rather than looking at root causes. And, uh, and then coming back to the body, I think, for me, the body practices are really invaluable. How do you feel about doing the body scan when you are laying down, though? Because sometimes I do that when I go to sleep at night. No, that's and before I get to the whole body, then I go <laughs> sleep. No, that's fine. Um, it's fine to lie down. Because I don't typically do a scan, a meditation sitting, but I will do it lying down. I do a lot of meditation lying down. When I go into the rocks, you know, usually one of the first things that I do is I lie down. Because when I lie down, I drop into a deeper relaxation. And then when I come out of that, if I sit from that place, it's a much, much, much more relaxed place of sitting than if I just try and sit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.